Let me talk to you about a ministry that you may not like. But it's a ministry that we've all been called to. And if God's called you to do it, I'm sure you would be very willing to do it. It's called the ministry of what? Suffering. The ministry of suffering. You say, well, I don't like that ministry. But believe it or not, there is a ministry of suffering. God allows us to suffer for Him. And He says that He was an example because He suffered for us. So uh, you can see the parallel, can't you? So God says that you are going to, in this world, you're going to suffer. There's a price to pay for taking a stand and doing what God wants you to do with your life. Here in the book of Revelation, I want you to look at it real quick with me. In Revelation in chapter 21, you know, Wednesday night I talked a little bit about the mark of the beast, and so this morning I talked about the mark of a believer and how that the mark of a believer is faith. That's what separates you apart. That's the distinguishing mark from the rest of the world is that you believe and they don't. So here in the book of Revelation in chapter 21, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither crying or sorrow, Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So all this is going to take place, and there'll be no more suffering. There's coming a day when the ministry of suffering will be over. Once you trust Christ as your Savior, this time that we live in this world is a time of suffering. We suffer by the mere fact that we're in this world in comparison to what God has for us, just to be here. And what we go through, the things you think about and worry about and fret about, the responsibilities that we have, the battles that you have to face, and the devil is real. And so you got to go through all of that, but understanding that there's a reason. And there's simply, in this life, opportunities for us to gain or to earn rewards. Remember, rewards are earned. So it means if you have to earn them, you've got to work. I mean, if you go to work, do they pay you just because you show up? Well, they probably do. <laughs> You're supposed to work. You're supposed to earn it the old-fashioned way. You earn it. Well, with the Lord, God has to give you a work to do. Well, see, His work is totally different from the work that's in the world. There's things God wants you to do, and He's going to pay you. So God has wages, and He pays wages. John chapter 4. So, number one there in your notes. Christ's suffering and death on the cross completely paid for all sin, for all people, for all time. This is what makes the ultimate reality in the new heavens and the new earth possible because of what Christ did for us. You and I have been called upon to suffer for Him. And he said, I want to serve the Lord, but I, I don't want to hurt. I don't want to have to fight. I don't want to struggle. I don't want no battles. But I want to wear the medals. 
Well, it won't work that way. Some people want to make a six-foot splash in a six-inch mud puddle. They want to be something glorious and great accomplishment, and do great things for God, but they don't want to have to put in the, the work or the labor that it takes to do something for the Lord. So in Hebrews chapter 9, uh, there's a verse there in chapter 2, in verse 9, uh, that says that he, Christ, uh, well, he was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. So he did do this for every man. But remember this, there is not divine healing in the crucifixion of Christ. When he died on the cross, his payment wasn't so that you and I could be healed of every disease in this life. If you want to have total healing of your physical body, just die. And then you'll get one, a new one. And you will never have to worry about it again. So you are going to have total healing someday. But not in this life. Otherwise, if we had these perfect bodies and we could just have this divine healing, we would never die. Did you ever think of that? And then if you wouldn't die, you would never get to heaven. It'd be a shame to see some 500-year-old codger still walking around here. Well, how come you didn't go to heaven? Well, I... You know, healing is in the atonement, and so here I am. No, I just soon, Lord, just take me on home. And if you're going to take me home, well, i got to die of something. I want to be healthy, but I know i got to die of something. Unless the Lord comes back and takes me out of here. So we believe the Lord is coming back. We've got to believe He's coming back soon. Look at number two. Number two. Human suffering may be due now, before you blame it on God, look at other possibilities. There are other things that could be the reason why you hurt or suffer. One could be because Adam sinned. You are in a sinful world, and therefore, you are going to hurt. You are going to suffer because of that. Because of the environment that you're in. There's thorns in this world, and you're going to get pricked. You're going to get hurt. People are going to say and do things. Number two, individual sin. In other words, because of what you bring upon yourself. Did you ever think that you might have to suffer consequences for your own decisions? A lot of people don't know that there's a correlation there. Take out a hammer, hit your finger with it. And then wonder, why is my finger hurting? Well, you know, I really don't know. I don't know why my finger's hurting. Well, there's a correlation because of what you're doing to yourself. And sometimes you will do things, and you're going to hurt for it. You're going to, you don't make all the right decisions. Now, I know that hurts. You do not make all the right decisions. You are not all wise. You are not perfect. You still mess up. And whenever you mess up, there's going to be some consequences to suffering. What you have to be careful is when you make dumb, stupid, idiotic decisions... And then you suffer for it. Don't say, well, I'm just suffering for Jesus. No, I, I, I don't think so. I think you might be deceiving yourself. Because if, if because you're making some bad decisions because you don't listen to what God says, well, now, that might be because you made some bad decisions. So before you just automatically blame God, you might look in the mirror and say, no, is there something that I'm doing that's causing this? 
Is it because I made wrong decisions? Now, you can correct some things. Look at letter C. Satanic attack. Do you honestly, in reality, do you really believe what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5? Look there. 1 Peter chapter 5. This is a good verse that you need to see. You need to know where it is in the Bible. And look there in verse 8. In verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, page 1315 in an old Skoka reference Bible, or one of the church Bibles. And look at verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Did you know that the devil might use your wife? Did you know the devil can use you? And the devil can use your kids. The devil can use that man where you work. So be very slow and careful. There might be more than meets the eye. Learn discernment as much as possible. Live peaceably with all men. Don't look for an opportunity to be mean and ugly, and you can blame it on somebody. Got to be very careful. Now look in verse 9. He says in verse 9, Whom? Who? The devil. Do what? Resist. You can resist the devil. How? By standing steadfast in the faith. Just stand strong on what God's Word says, and that's resisting the devil. You don't move just because the devil wants you to. You are not not supposed to think wrong just because the devil wants you to think wrong. You don't do wrong because the devil wants you to do wrong. You know what's right and stand there. And be strong. Be strong in the power of His might. And God will bless you for doing so. Now, look in John chapter 15, the Gospel of John and chapter 15. John 15 talks about bearing fruit and the friendships that we have and how that God has made us His friends and all that. But it's a, also a warning. If you look there in verse 18, he says in verse 18, and he's talking to his disciples. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, if he is the master, look what the world did to him. Well, if you're his servant, well, you know what they did to the master. What do you think they'll do to you? Now, you have to be careful when the world loves you. I just can't fathom this world loving me to death. I mean, if they love me to death, like I'm some great guy, then I must be doing something wrong. The world is not supposed to love me. Now, I'm not supposed to purposely try to make the world hate me. But I do believe that we're supposed to live according to truth, and living according to truth is going to offend people, and they're not going to like you because of that. You live godly on your job and try to do right, and there'll be somebody that could accuse you of something. Or lie about you, deceive you, because they can't stand a person who shows them up. There's a price to pay for living a righteous life. Look what he said in verse 19. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. So yes, there is a price to pay, just because you want to serve the Lord. And you know what the world did to him? Don't expect any better treatment in this life. You say, well, I don't want to suffer, so I'm going to compromise a little bit. Your choice. But your compromising is going to cost you greatly. Because when you get to heaven, you find out what you could have done. If you'd have stood fast, you're going to bring a lot of grief. And then that's why God said he'll wipe away all tears from their eyes. Because there's going to be a lot of people that's going to be weeping. Because they'll look back over their life with a lot of regret of what they could have done for the Lord and did not do. You're going to suffer in this world. Expect it, and when you understand it, it eliminates that the whining business. You ever see Christians, all they do is whine about everything, just whine. Well, you don't have to do that when you understand. All you know is all the hardships that I go through are nothing more than places for me to spend my money. Remember, I like I said, I gave my wife a million dollars to go buy something, and then there was no stores. Wouldn't it be frustration? So what would she want? If she had a million dollars to spend, what would she want? She want all the kind of stores she could find. Why? Because she wants to spend the money. Well, a Christian who has wisdom must have problems to spend the wisdom on. Problems to solve. So that's money to spend. But see, a lot of Christians are bankrupt. They don't have any wisdom. They don't have any money to spend. They can't solve people's problems. They can't help anybody. They're bankrupt themselves spiritually. So you don't want that. So as you go through life, God is putting money into your well by the things you learn and how deep you can go. Now, some people go down so deep and they stay down so long and they come up so dry. But you want water in your well. That means wisdom that you store up, that you can use when it's needed. So, letter E, God's known or unexplained purposes. Did you know that God may let you suffer and he doesn't tell you why? Did you know this? God does not owe you an explanation. God doesn't have to explain everything to you. Isn't it true that one of the most asked questions when something goes wrong is why? Because you think, I can handle it better if I only knew why. Well, let's just say this. Because there's some things that God will not explain to you, and you'll never figure out. Some things you'll never get all the answers to. But you know, overall, God has given to me the ministry of suffering. And it's part of God's will for me. So I don't have to worry about it. Now I know God's will for my life. I'm to suffer in this life. As I do what God wants me to do, I'm going to be hurt. I'm not going to be loved by everybody. But by the very fact that you belong to Christ, and the world hated Him, and the world persecuted Him, the world will do the same thing to you. Understand it. Look at number three. Suffering for Christ can be expected in a godly life. You see, in Timothy, it makes the statement in chapter 3. It says, uh, Be ye holy. Be ye holy. Be pure. Because those that live godly shall suffer persecution. 
If you live holy, you're going to pay a price for it. Sometimes it's difficult talking to certain people because there could be, you know, a backlash. And you don't sometimes want to suffer that backlash. Nobody wants to be or to feel rejected or to be unloved. We all want to be accepted. We want to belong. This is one of the hardest things for teenagers, junior high kids. They have this peer pressure. They want to be accepted. They want to be on the in group. Whatever the kids do, they want to do and be a part of it. They don't want to stand out. They don't want to be different. They want to be liked. They want to feel like somebody cares about them. And they don't want just mom and dad's approval. They want the kids that are their peers. They want to, they want to be liked. That's why they want to look like them and act like them, talk like them. Because they fit in. And it's hard for them to take a stand and to have different moral standards than what the other kids have and so it's, it's difficult. And the more godly they want to live, the, the harder it is on them. Parents need to understand that. Because it's, it's very difficult, especially in the times in which we live, when you have some parents that don't care what their kids do, or where they go, or how they talk, or who they date, all those things. They don't care. But when you do care, man, it breaks your heart when you see something happen that you don't want to happen, or see them do something, or go someplace. All these things are so important. But in 1 Peter chapter 4, it makes this statement. He says, you have been called to suffer, but in the suffering, there is fellowship with the Lord. And he says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. He said, don't think it strange, because it's going to happen. And you're going to have to pay a price. Look at number four in your notes there. Human affliction can cause believers. You say, what, what, what will it do for me? What, what can I gain out of this? What's the purpose of it? Do you know there's things that God may want you to learn by the things that you go through? Now, it wasn't long ago when I became 60. I thought, man, I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to die. I almost did twice. And... Uh, it's a miracle that I'm, I'm here today. And I have, I have suffered. I had to take pain pills for over a year and a half. One Sunday, I had to take five pain pills to try to get through the day. And I, I haven't got a clue what I preached on. I couldn't remember. I was like in a daze. But I had to go through it. And I hurt. I suffered. I suffered. Physically suffered. And I remember... One day we had this Western Day. Now, I'm not against Western Day. I love Western Day. But we had the dunking booth. You ever seen a dunking booth? You know, where a guy sits on the little ledge, and somebody out there throws the little ball, hits that little round thing. Well, we've been playing horseshoes and so forth, but they hollered and says, Preacher, preacher, it's your turn. <laughs> all righty. So I go over there, and I take off my coat and all take off my tie, and you know, and I got into the dunking boat, took off my shoes, and so I'm climbing up on the ledge, and by now, half the water's gone. It's been splashed out of there. So it was only half full. So I got in there, and I'm crawling up on the little ledge, and it's kind of shaky, so you've got to be slow and careful, or it'll go down before you're ready. Well, I finally get up on there, and I'm leaning sideways, and i got to scoot over on it, and I saw this guy 
He was my brother-in-law. He's winding up. And I says, and I'm everybody's hollering for him to throw, throw, throw. And I, I thought, no, don't, don't, no, not yet. I'm not, I'm not ready yet. And then I thought, he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Well, he did. He hit that little round thing over there, dead center. And when he hit it, I was leaning on the side, and buddy, I went down into that tank, and my foot hit up against the corner of that metal bin. And there wasn't that much water, and so there wasn't much support. And I hit that thing, and it twisted my ankle, and I'm talking about excruciating pain, shot up through my leg, and oh, it hurt. Now, if I hadn't have been a grown man, and if I hadn't have been in that tank, and I hadn't seen people watching me, I'd have cried. I suffered. That, that hurt. But I laughed and got up there and I crawled back out on the limb again and they put me down again. And I hit it again. I crawled back up there and I laughed and so forth. I said, you can't hit it, you can't hit it. And I'm gone again. They delight in seeing the preacher suffer. They didn't know how bad I was hurting. That night when I got home, I could hardly walk. So I thought, I didn't tell my wife. I took two ibuprofen, 800 milligrams. But I didn't know you're supposed to have, you know, a full meal or anything like that. I just took to them and swallowed. Believe it or not, my ankle felt better. <laughs> but the next night, it was still sore a little bit. I thought, I'll just take two more. So I took two more on an empty stomach right before I go to bed. Well, the next day, I was in Hertzville. I didn't know that I had a bleeding ulcer. And I was in bad shape. And I couldn't hardly walk. I lay down on the floor. And I couldn't hardly get up. I finally got up enough. And I called Betty on the phone. I says, honey, I says, I think you need to take me to the doctor. At this time, I still had no clue what I needed to do. I didn't know what was wrong. I says, I'm, I'm coming home. I want you to take me to the VA. So I, I drove home. And it seemed like I was flying. And I looked down at the speedometer, and I'm going about 20 miles an hour down that road. It took me, seemed like, forever to get there. But it seemed like I was flying. But I couldn't hardly adjust things, and my knuckles were turning white. My, my hands were all turning white. And by the time I got to the house, and I didn't know if I'd ever make it, Betty, she jumped in the car, and she was going about 110 around the bend and got down there. And they tried to stand me up, and I couldn't stand up. I was so weak, they said, well, you'll have to sit in this chair. And I said, I can't. I laid down on the floor. They said, well, you can't lay on the floor. I said, ma'am, I'm laying on the floor. They said, well, get him. A they moved me in there. And they, next thing you know, they said, oh, my God, he's got a bleeding ulcer. And they did immediate surgery right off the bat. It was interesting. And my wife's wondering whether or not is, am I going to live or am I going to die? Do you know, she suffered just as much as I suffered, even though I was the one that was in, in the bed. And they was having to give me some blood. And I was, I was crying because, see, it was Thursday and Friday. I said, I've got to get out of the hospital on Friday. And they said, you're not, you're not going anywhere. I said, I'm getting out of here Friday. I said, I'm supposed to be in Egypt. I'm leaving for Egypt on Monday. I'm going to Egypt with Ray Stanford. And I said, I've got to get out of here. And so they gave me some more blood on Friday. I got out. I was preaching on Sunday morning in church. At Monday... Betty was pushing me through the Atlanta airport in a wheelchair because I couldn't walk. And they finally <laughs> got me on the airplane, and I had just enough strength each day to do what I needed to do each day. 
Egypt is the last place you want to go when you have stomach trouble. But I, but I, but I like to die. Now, I don't know whether the, you know, the devil, all I know is that I did make some stupid decisions. I shouldn't have took the ibuprofen on an empty stomach. It ate right through my stomach. And I could have died so easy. And they said I got down to the hospital just in time. And then another time after that, I got there and they said another 12 hours, you would have been either in a coma. This was six months later. You would have been in a coma or you would have been dead. And they had to do emergency surgery on me again. So I am lucky to be here. I am fortunate to be here. I could have been in heaven. That would have been so bad. But you in this life, you're going to have something. It's going to hit you upside down. You can't explain it. Well, Lord, why? I don't know why. I don't care why. I think, well, God, you're God, and you could stop this or you can allow it. So whatever. I didn't ask when to be born, and I don't care when I leave. I am at your disposal. I'm going to try to do whatever I believe is right. And if you let me live, praise the Lord. If you want to take me home, praise the Lord. Whatever you want to do, I really don't care. And so I guess he doesn't want me yet. Eight, nine more years has passed. And maybe one of these days I'll be standing here telling you, hey, I'm 79 now. And, uh, but who knows? You don't have any clue just how fast something can hit you. My mama, she went through just about everything you can think of. And I really don't want to follow that trail, but sometimes we, we're going to have to suffer. But there's lessons to be learned. Look at number letter A. To learn God's Word. Psalms 119. I, I believe he's talking about when I was afflicted. When I was afflicted. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. And so God's affliction sometimes can bring you back. Because sometimes it causes you to search yourself and see, is there something that I'm doing that's wrong? And sometimes there is. Sometimes there's things that you need to correct. But you don't think about it until something happens, and then you wonder why God doesn't answer your prayer. And then you think, well, maybe it's because of this, or maybe it's because of that. God does want you to search yourself. God does want us to search. An unexamined life is not worth living. Always examining yourself, saying, where am I spiritually? What, what am I doing? What's my attitude to the things that are happening in my life? Let it be to learn to trust and obey the Lord. Always remember that. To learn patience. Romans chapter 5, tribulation worketh patience. It's the hard times because you can't make it end. You can't solve all of the problems. It's beyond you. So you have to let God do it. Have you had situations that you have come to the limit of your own wisdom and ability? And you say, if God, you don't get me out of this, I won't get out of this. I am at my wit's end. I don't know what else to do. God says, great, that's where I've been trying to get you. Usually faith is born in despair. When you have no more confidence in you. And you're right where God wanted to get you. It's kind of like this. Suppose I uh, put a hole up there in that ceiling. And I went up on the roof, and I had a whole bunch of money up there. And I want to bless people. And whoever gets under that opening, I'm going to throw them some money down. And lo and behold, James walks in the room. Oh, I want to bless James. 
I can't seem to get James maneuvered under that hole up there. If I could just get him under that hole, I'd, then I'd just dump a whole bunch of money on him. So I work all kind of things in his life. And I bring somebody else in his life. And they'll try to get him over to here. And then somebody gets him over to here. And then somebody gets him over there. And finally he gets in the right spot, right where I wanted him. Now, he could have got there quicker if he'd have just listened to the first person I sent. But no, he won't do that. So I had to send ten people to try to tell him. And moving and working in his life. And putting this obstacle in his life. And opening up this door. And closing that door so I can get him right where I want him. And then when he finally got there, I blessed him. He says, man, isn't God good? But until he got there... You know, I don't know if God knows who I am anymore. I don't even know if He knows where I'm at. Look what's going on in my life. And God says, I've been trying to get you someplace. I've been working in your life. He didn't leave you alone. He loves you and He's, he's working. Because He's doing that with every one of His children. Remember this. Your Heavenly Father is going to give you personalized attention. He doesn't let you go. He knows everything that's happening in your life. He knows you. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And everything's okay. It's in His hands. All you got to do is just trust Him. And He'll bless you because of it. Look at letter D. To prevent spiritual pride. Have you ever got a problem with pride? Have you ever had a problem with pride? Did you know how God can take away that pride? It's for Him to humble you. He said, if you be lifted up in pride, God says He will humble you. But if you will humble you, he will exalt you. So where yet? Did you realize that sometime God, because he wants to use you, he's got to empty you of you. He's got to drain all of you out of you. To where he can, I guess you could say, fill you, put something into you. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit. He has to get to you where you will not try to control yourself. You'll let him control you. And he'll let you make some decisions that will prick you. In other words, I used to tell the teenagers in college, <laughs> most of them were teenagers, I'm going to pray a hedge of thorns about you. Sometimes you want a hedge of blessings around them. But when people become rebellious, you pray a hedge of thorns around them. It means that every time they say or do something, it seems like they're just pricking themselves. I used to pick blackberries. And you know, it's difficult sometimes to get all those blackberries without getting your hand all scratched up. And if you squeeze the blackberry too hard, well, then it just goes all over the place. So you've got to be gentle. But sometimes it always seems like the biggest blackberries, the juiciest ones, are always hiding back there behind those thorns. You've got to reach over and around and under and so forth. And if you want those, then there might be a price to pay and sometimes God will put a hedge of thorns about you so that your bad decisions will prick you and hurt you. And why does he do that? Because he hates you. Because he loves you. And it's to wake you up, to cause you to be aware, to realize that maybe I made a wrong decision. Maybe I need to check with the Lord again. So it's very important. You ever heard of a verse called... Um, Romans 8, 28. You ever heard of that verse? All things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to His purpose. So God has a purpose, and He may not have told you what it is. But you know that He has one, and so you're going to believe it. And faith in the Lord means you can trust Him. And you can trust somebody if you really believe they love you. And when you doubt His love, 
it's hard for you to trust them. So the devil is going to do whatever he possibly can to get you to doubt the love of God. Because if God really loved you, he wouldn't have let that happen to you. Yes, he would. Because he can use the things that happens in this world to strengthen you, to draw you closer to him. And letter E, to give us a true scale of our value. In other words, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. But such is common to man. So you're going to have all of these problems. But when you find out there's something that you don't know, he says, ask of God. And he will give to all men liberally. He will not chide you or mock you or make fun of you. But let him ask in faith, not wavering, like a ship upon the sea tossed to and fro. He says, let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. The next point, number five, trusting the Lord through suffering prepares you to help others find the comfort of God in their own suffering. Because the lessons that you learn and 2 Corinthians in chapter 1 is a very important chapter. You ought to read it someday and study it real carefully. But he is called the Father of Comforts. It means let the Father comfort you. So that whenever you're comforted, you may able to use that same comfort to comfort somebody else. In other words, God's given you tools to use. God's given you experiences in life to help. God's preparing you. In a greater way. Don't you want God to use you in a great way? Okay, well, He has to prepare you. Got to teach you some things. And you're not going to learn them in a book. You don't learn them in a Bible college. It's the school of hard knocks. The school of experience. You see, wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. Knowledge is an accumulation of facts. Wisdom is being able to take those facts and apply them to life. And you're not wise because you know what to do. You're wise if you do what you're supposed to do. A lot of difference. Number six, enduring suffering for Christ can bring believers future rewards in heaven. And you know this. We've taught it long enough. You know that if you serve the Lord now, for whatever price you have to pay, that when you get to heaven, it will be worth it all. But look at the last one. Number seven. Number seven, suffering for Christ is worth it, not only in heaven, but now. You say, why? Because of what it does. If you suffer for the Lord now, you do right, and there's a price to pay, letter A, due to the glory of God, because God gets glory from it. You see, there's a God in heaven that wants you to do right, because He gets glory from your life. He wants you, in spite of how bad it might be, Give glory to God and praise the Lord and thank the Lord. And that's now. That's not later. He wants you to do that now. And look at the next point. Due to the salvation of others. We see, we're ta talking about winning people when we get to heaven. We're talking about winning people to the Lord now. So the suffering that you go through now could be the salvation of somebody else. Somebody hearing and understanding and trusting Christ as Savior because they heard the gospel through your lips. Did you know that there might be people that want to know the truth? And because of that, God has got to get somebody to him. And in order to get somebody to this person over here, God may have to send you into the hospital in order to talk to this person. For whatever the reason. There might be somebody at the grocery store that God has sent you there. It could be at a service station. 
You see, God knows where the, the hungry hearts are. And God has a person who has the desire to say, Lord, use me in any way you want. So God may have to allow certain things to happen. There might be a guy that drives a, a tow truck. And he's driving his truck, wondering, I wonder where I'm going to go when I die. Well, lo and behold, your car broke down and you had to call a tow truck. Isn't that wonderful? Now, you're not the kind that's going to curse God because the tire blew out or the motor blew up because God had to work in your life. Because you, you know that. See, you know how God works. And so it doesn't bother you. But see, when you don't know that and you don't understand that, all you're thinking about, look what this is doing to me. I'm not on my schedule. When you dedicate your life to the Lord, expect God to interrupt your schedule. See, God has a schedule. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And yours may not be the same one. But now, God says, if you will be faithful, God says, when you get to heaven, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to bless you. But not only that, but see, you're getting somebody to trust the Lord now. Let us see. Due to the ministry to believers. See, there's, there's believers. Did you know that you sometimes, you watch people, and you know they're going through a hard time? And did you know that you, you evaluate a person based upon how they handle their problems? And you know everybody's got them. And so you watch and see how are they going to handle this. Do they really love the Lord? Are they going to fall apart? How are, they, how are they doing spiritually? What kind of attitude do they have? Does it seem like they're blaming and cursing God? And, or do they have a lot of bitterness in their heart? Are they the kind that says, I don't understand it all. Praise God anyway. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gave and He took away. And in all this to maintain your integrity. See, God is watching. Uh, he really is watching. And He is working in your life in ways that you may not know and understand. Because, see, if you were in charge, you wouldn't do it that way. But, see, you're not God. You're supposed to believe that you have a heavenly Father, a wonderful, loving heavenly Father. And He's working in your life. The last thing here, due to your own spiritual growth. Due to your own spiritual growth. Did you know that that's how you grow? You see, your faith has to be challenged. It's just like, you know, they having the playoffs for the Super Bowl. And they have the best in each division and so forth. And they have the playoffs. And then they have the wild card stuff. And then they have the division. They do all of that. Why? Because they're trying to get the two best teams to come together. The two best teams. What well, your spiritual growth in the Lord... In order for you to grow, you have to be challenged by something that's equal to your faith. It's where you are right now. In order for you to have to dig a little bit more and pray a little bit more and trust a little bit more. In other words, if you had $1,000 in the bank and you had a bill for 500 you ain't got a problem. But what if you only had $1,000 in the bank and you owed $1,500? Oh, now that's different. Now what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So that's what God does in your life. So He will allow you to be challenged so that your own personal spiritual growth can be greater than what it is now. God wants us to mature.
to grow stronger and stronger in the Lord as we get older. And the last thing, and later. It's now and later. In other words, it will be worth it all. Do you believe that? I believe it. I believe it with all my heart. I've seen God work in my life. I've had Him turn me upside down and spank me pretty good. But I love knowing how God works. Because He is going to work in your life. Look up here very quickly. This hand represents you and me, and the wallet represents sin. Now, we all have sin on us. God loves us, but He hates what we do wrong. Now, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, then God says that you need to hear the gospel, some good news. But in order to appreciate the good news, I've got to tell you the bad news first. You see, we have all sinned. That, that's bad news. And the wages of sin to pay for it is death and hell. Uh, that, that's bad news, too. Now, to go to heaven, you have to be perfect. Well, i got some more bad news for you. We're not. And i got some more bad news for you. You can't earn eternal life. You can't work your way to heaven. You say, well, do you have any good news? Sure. Sure do. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's God's Son. And the Bible says that God so loved the world. That's good news. That He gave His only begotten Son. You see, Christ came into the world because He loves us. But He hates our sin. So He did something for us. That was He took the sin, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead. Now that's good news. And He says all that we had to do was believe He did it for us. That's good news. All I have to do is believe. I don't have to stop something or join something or turn or burn or forsake or bake or wine or pine. All I got to do is just believe it, that He did it for me. And He would put this payment to my account and give me the free gift of eternal life. That's more good news. So see, there's a lot of good news here. God loves you. Paid for your sins. Came back from the dead and said, if you trust me, that I did it for you. I'll give you as a free gift. Everlasting life. And you get to go to heaven on what I did. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. That's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, or if you're listening by way of Internet and you never trusted the Lord, then, friend, I urge you right now in the quietness of this moment, just talk to the Lord and say something simple like this. Lord, I'm a sinner. Friend, that's just being honest. We all are. But I believe you died on that cross and paid for my sins. Tonight I will trust you as my Savior. I believe you died for me. And friend, God said if you would accept him, he would give you eternal life as a gift and never cast you out and never lose you. Would you do that? If you're making that decision, I'd like to have prayer for you. So with the heads bowed, nice closed, and no one looking around, I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I'd like to have prayer for you. I'd like to know if what I said made sense to you. So if you're trusting Christ as your Savior tonight, you've never done it before, say, pray to pray for me. Would you slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Is there anyone at all? Our Father, we do thank you so much 
for your word that you've given us, not only to have eternal life, but also to understand and appreciate the ministry of suffering. And Lord, I pray your will to be done in the lives of each person here. And some people in this auditorium I know, and they've suffered a lot, gone through an awful lot. They've hurt. Some need jobs. Some have had surgery. And some are, no doubt, lonely and all kinds of things that goes on in a person's life. But Father, I know that your grace is sufficient. We want you, Lord, to put your arms about, about each person here and just let them know that you love them. And let them know that we love them, that we love each other, we care for one another. Help us to do the things that are right. Put things in its proper perspective. Realizing that there's value now in suffering. And there's value later. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.